Thanks for tuning in to Tell Me More with Katie Reed Hodges. That's me. And this week, we're going to dive in with Dr. Wiles to his intro on Philippians. We talk about the character of Paul. We talk about joy. And I think it's a really good conversation. So let's dive in. Thanks. Okay, we're here in the studio, the podcast studio of First Baptist Arlington with Dr. Dennis R. Wiles. I'm Katie Hodges. And we are experimenting with a new podcast called Tell Me More. And I came up with it, but it's in my idea. Uh, every once in a while, I'll literally be in the sanctuary at the end of the service, and Dennis Wiles will walk off stage, and you'll say something like, okay, if I had more time, I would talk about this and this and this. And there's, there's kind of this principle in preaching that you're always leaving things on the table. You can't talk about everything you researched, especially with a mind like Dennis Wiles. You can't talk about everything you've thought about, read, and put into it. So here's a venue, more casual, where I can say, okay, Tell me more, Dr. Wiles, about whatever you're preaching. So my idea is this this is a companion to your preaching, and it's for our people to kind of spend more organic time with you and find out more. What do you think about that? I really like it. So in other words, you don't want me to start preaching. That's not what we're doing. This, can, is, this is not the venue for that. Is that well, correct? if you get preachy, we'll just let you roll. <laughs> but uh, okay. no, my thought, you know, uh, truly, I think there are certain sermons that invite it where you think, oh, my gosh, I know if you had unlimited time, we would really be getting into deeper things. But for somebody like you that studied a long time, you know the Greek, you're familiar with the Hebrew, mm-hmm. you read the theologians, there's a lot more behind the scenes than what we're talking about, so... Yeah, always. I think that, you know, when you, particularly for a Sunday morning sermon, you know, at our church, um, you, you think about the, um, the congregation, you run the gamut from four-year-olds all the way to people who are, you know, in their 90s, mm-hmm. and um, all walks of life, all different types of backgrounds, interests, so you've got quite a diverse congregation, so you think about you know, 25, 30-minute sermon where you're trying to explain a text, mm-hmm. basically, and, and help people take that text, hear what it actually means, and then determine ways that it can inspire them, inform them, fit to their life today. Well, uh, obviously, in order to prepare for that, um, at least for me, you prepare for so much more than that but you only get that window. And so, you know, you spend this life of researching and reflecting and reading. And, and uh, it's, it, uh, the way I feel about it, it's almost like I'm in this uh, long, ongoing conversation with the church. Mm-hmm. And so we get to Sunday morning, and I open a window and let you peer in mm-hmm. to my life and my yep. study and what I'm thinking. And then we get to the certain point on the clock, and I say, okay, we need to... <laughs> Let's close that's the window. enough for today. That's yeah, it. and that's all we can do. But you've always got more. And right. I, you know, you're the pro. But in my preaching preparation, often there are about four different directions. I end up thinking, this could be four different sermons mm-hmm. if I emphasize this word or this phrase or this, you know, truth about life. But you always have to pick a lane, and so there's just so much left on the table that I think any preacher sometimes wants to, you know, back mm-hmm. up a week, preach sure. in a different direction, do all that. So, mm-hmm. I think this could be fun, and. Dennis Wiles in a Q&A setting is very impressive. Let's just not forget that. I'll say that. You don't have to respond. But Okay, so can we hop into this week? You yes. preached Philippians 1. That's you're back right. from study leave, which is always fun for us because you've studied up and you're ready. And we're talking about Philippians in August. Uh, you started with the first five verses and pretty much stayed there. But one thing that I think, I grew up in a different denomination. I grew up Methodist. And when I got to college, 
the BSM, Baptist Student Ministry, is where I really grew a lot. Uh, everybody was talking about Paul, and I really did. This isn't a joke. I thought Paul was a senior who had just graduated, you know, just just graduated because he was so full of wisdom, and everybody kept saying, well, Paul says, and Paul says. And I'm like, man, i got to meet Paul. Like, where is Paul now? Is he single? He sounds really great. And then, I don't know, pretty quickly after learned, and they had probably been told this growing up, that I just didn't hear it, or that Paul is actually a really hugely influential church leader, wrote a lot of the New Testament. But for those listening, you have said even in your sermon on Sunday that he's a very learned person. And I know personally you're very impressed by Paul. But what makes Paul so impressive? Why why Paul? Why are we so hot on Paul? (laughs) That's a great question. You know, I think first thing I would say, you would be hard-pressed to find any one person outside of Jesus in the history of humanity who's been more influential than the Apostle Paul. And that stems largely from his writings, obviously, but also just his um, his church planting efforts, his methodology that has influenced church planters, those trying to lead in, in taking the gospel to various parts of the world. Paul has been an inspiration, he's been an example, but then his theological brain and his ability to encapsulate complex theological issues and put them in 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 uh, in writings uh, in in that sense I, I'm not sure who Paul's equal would be all due respect mm-hmm. obviously John Luke there's some great yeah as far as authorship correct, I mean if we talked right. about New Testament authorship right. others can compete of course but as far as influence influence across the history of the world Western civilization first Jesus and uh, Paul uh, they would be in my Jesus, of course, is incomparable. It's Jesus, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> if I was going to name my top three, though, you'd have to have Paul in there. Well, who would and, your third um, be? Do we know? Um, well, I would probably, uh, for the for the for Western Christianity, I would say Luke, uh-huh. simply because Luke gives us the chronicle of actually how this played out in the life of the early church. Yeah. And then you get past that, and I would probably go with Augustine. You know, would probably be my three, mm-hmm. but. Um, because he creates a whole philosophy of history. That's, that's a whole other. That's a whole right. other podcast. Uh, um, yeah, we can get there. You could tell me more next week about. Okay, but uh, yeah. but Paul. So to set Paul up, um, he is uh, uh, <clears throat> a Jew. So his given name is Saul. We know that about him, and he he was born probably give or take AD five or so. That's probably what most scholars would say. So he would be a contemporary of Jesus mostly a little bit younger than Jesus would have been um, Paul was from Tarsus Tarsus was the was the leading city of Cilicia okay yeah we hear about Tarsus we hear about yeah. Paul of Tarsus, Paul of Tarsus but Tarsus, what makes that right. so special is well, Tarsus special because we know about it because Paul's from there kind of like Jesus of Nazareth um, <laughs> or was Tarsus special in its own right it, both okay um, Cilicia is the province if you will in the, I guess you'd say the southeastern part of Asia Minor, what we would call Turkey today, okay. right, right across the, uh, the the port would be right across from Antioch in Syria. So you cross the Mediterranean. It Antioch's sounds lovely. I think I had some friends just get back from a cruise there. <laughs> okay, and, and I'm sure it's a beautiful place <laughs> yeah. to go. I mean, not when Paul was cruising, but <laughs> right. okay, yeah, go ahead. But um, uh, so born a Jew, mm-hmm. Saul in Tarsus. Tarsus was, um, um, you know, it's a, it's a town affiliated. With just a history of that part of the world, um, eventually Mark Antony would, would establish that part of the world, Cilicia, as a, as a free province. So Tarsus is a free city, which means they didn't have to pay the Roman tribute that okay. a lot of the other places had to pay. And if you were born there, then you're a Roman citizen. 
um, particularly if your father was a Roman citizen. So Paul's father must have been a Roman citizen. So Paul's born a Roman citizen. Got it. And uh, but his name's Saul, mm-hmm. so he's he's Hebraic in his ethnicity, and and we will read later about Paul that, that that's exactly who he is. But Tarsus was a was a was a community that was known as a university city. That's that was its reputation. It, it wasn't necessarily like Alexandria or or um, places where people necessarily from everywhere around there came for schooling okay. primarily targeting the population who lived there but it was known as a learned community and so um, so Saul fits that bill um, he's literate only about I would I think most scholars would say about 10% of the population at that time would have been literate mm-hmm. and what's fascinating about Paul is he's um, his, his language proficiency uh, also distinguished him Okay. Because he grows up in a in a Hellenistic society, that's exactly what um, Cilicia was, which means it's Greek speaking. Mm-hmm. However, and Paul did speak Greek, and he wrote in Greek. However, Paul, um, what he says about himself is he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. Well, what that meant what, was what that's, that's kind of a that's that? kind of a code phrase, if you okay. will, because in the ancient world, in the, in the first century, there were about six million Jews that lived in that part of the world at the time, give okay. or take. About five million, five million of them lived outside of Palestine, outside of Israel. Okay. So there, Most of them. right, just yeah. like today, yeah. but there are more Jews who live outside of Israel than in Israel, obviously mm-hmm. today. Well, that was certainly during Paul's day, and so most of the Jews who lived outside of Israel had been Hellenized. In other words, they had adopted the Greek culture. That meant that they spoke the Greek language. They many times would even take Greek names, like Paul. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, um, um, but many of them lost their mother tongue. So in other words, they no longer spoke Hebrew. By the time Paul was alive, the, the mother tongue was really known as Aramaic. It, had, it is it's a cousin language to Hebrew. It changed a little bit because they influenced the Babylonians, but nevertheless. So what's fascinating about Paul is he's a Hebrew of Hebrews. That's code language for, I'm not a Hellenist. I'm, I'm not a Hellenistic Jew. Mm-hmm. That means he's a Jew who still had the mother tongue. Got it. He still spoke Aramaic. And that would be a not an elitist, uh-huh, but a, that, he's, well, he's saying I'm purebred in right. that way. He's okay. saying if you think you're a Hebrew, let's say you think you're a Jew and you live, you know, outside of Palestine and you can't speak Aramaic, well, you're not a Hebrew of Hebrews. Mm-hmm. You'd be a Hellenistic but Jew. But I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. And you wore so, that like a badge of honor. Of course. Okay. And, it, and, it, and so consequently, we read in the book of Acts, he is in Jerusalem at one point, and the people are making all these accusations against them, and he turns and speaks to the crowd in Aramaic, mm-hmm. his mother tongue. So that lets you know <clears throat> that um, he, he's at least bilingual. Most scholars would probably say trilingual because there was at the same time um, in what we call the Greco-Roman world, the Greek-Roman world, mm-hmm. the Romans had taken over the, the, the Greek empire, if you want to call it that. The Roman empire had expanded way beyond it, but nevertheless it adopted the Greek culture, Greek language. However, the Romans were already beginning to Latinize the world, so they were beginning to develop the Latin language and allow it to proliferate across the empire. So there's some evidence that Latin was also spoken in uh, in Cilicia, mm-hmm. and uh, even even in even in Palestine. So so even when Jesus, you know, is is crucified, when they place the the little placard over him, it's written in Latin mm-hmm. as well as in Greek and Aramaic. But nevertheless, probably Paul spoke all three. Mm-hmm. So there. It's a pretty distinguishing feature for this man. Yeah. Not only that, um, Luke tells us that Paul was educated in Jerusalem as well at the feet of Gamaliel. Mm-hmm. Gamaliel was a very famous teacher um, in Jerusalem of Judaism, and he was a Pharisee. 
And Paul will say about himself, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. Mm -hmm. And again, what he's saying is, I trained under maybe the most, um, at, at that time, most famous Pharisaical teacher. There were two different schools of Pharisees. They were um, scribes. They were they were leaders in Jewish synagogues mm-hmm. who continued to focus on the the old what we would call the Old Testament, the teachings of the law, as well as this body of teachings that grew up around the law. And so they were they were known as protectors, if you will, of authentic Judaism. Mm-hmm. That was their role in, okay. in the society. And um, and so they were acknowledged religious leaders, preservationists. Yes, in that way. Okay. absolutely, and very well respected because these were learned people and learned men, actually, and uh, so, <laughs> specifically yeah, learned yeah. men. Yeah. And um, but um, Hillel was one of the prominent um, Pharisees, mm-hmm. and Gamaliel was a was an advocate of Hillel's approach, which was very conservative. A very, I would say, thoroughgoing Pharisaical Jew. So here is this guy mm-hmm. who has grown up in in a, in a Hellenistic culture. Mm-hmm. He's the citizen of the Roman Empire, mm-hmm. and he's been, I'm sure, educated in Tarsus. But not only that, he has gone to Jerusalem to be educated in his homeland, and he's he's basically gone to Harvard. He's gone to the yeah. most elite teacher available. So his parents were of some means, mm-hmm. or this would not mm-hmm. have happened. I see. Probably did that as a young man, okay? So, well, then the the Jesus movement begins, and he initially sees it as a threat because sure. it is it is uh, it is not in his mind at least it is not advocating um, the the teachings of the Pharisees, mm-hmm. and so he opposes it naturally, and he opposes it vigorously, intellectually. As, as well as physically. Yeah. So he becomes a persecutor. Yeah, he doesn't just disagree in like an armchair right. quarterback kind of way. Right. He's out there he, doing he it. He puts his life on the line, really, and just says, we have to we have to stop this. So mm-hmm. he's, he's really an incredible person. Yeah. Learned. Um, and, and not only that, he was adventuresome. I mean, here's a, here's a guy that's it. Um, uh, I mean, think about most of the people in the ancient world. You, you didn't travel far from home. That, mm-hmm. That's just not the way it worked. Yeah. Now, the it took Romans, a lot of work. It took a lot to of work. To get far away. Yes. Yeah. So the Romans were fond of traveling, but they primarily traveled by as, as military members. You know, That's how you saw the world. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And, and if you I think were I've seen that the, billboard. Yeah, that if strategy. you were part of the elite, yeah. then of course you did. But the common person, they spent their they life. They stayed close to home. Yeah. Think about Paul. Young man leaves Tarsus, goes to Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. So, um, and we will discover about him later. He just becomes a man who just travels literally all over the ancient world. Very unusual person, um, skilled um, writer, writes some very, um, I would say, clear but complex letters, and um, it just becomes this incredibly thoughtful theologian that basically helps codify so much of of the theology that that we, as, as Protestants in particular, that we espouse today. Mm-hmm. So, like yeah. I said, how, how do you measure Paul's influence? That's, that'd be really hard to do. Well, I mean, <clears throat> practically, not that I have the mind of Christ, although, you know, we can get into that. Uh, it seems like a really strategic move yes. to then find Paul Correct. and convert him Correct. to the Jesus way right. and then have him be a leader. And, I mean, there's a lot of bullet points right. there, you could say, right. practically. Because, yeah, you think about the fact that you could travel— freely across the Roman Empire if you're a Roman citizen. Mm-hmm. And in that part of the world, 
if you spoke Greek and you spoke Aramaic and, and probably had at least conversant in Latin, then literally the world was yours. You, you could go anywhere, and you're a Roman citizen, mm-hmm. born a Roman citizen. Uh, yeah, you, you, had, um, you had someone who just was the embodiment of the ability to have broad influence. Yeah. Turns out that's exactly what happened. Well, yeah, turns out Jesus was right in kind of <laughs> appearing to him yes. and calling him, which is interesting because <clears throat> I think sometimes, not to chase too many rabbits, much of the New Testament, much of the life of Jesus, he does choose the underdog or the outlier or people who society wouldn't think would be. And I guess you could argue that for Paul because he was such a starch contrast. Absolutely. I mean, he was coming after him. Yes. But as far as credentials and an pedigree, opponent. he was, oh, yeah, he was an opponent. Mm-hmm. But his pedigree was good. And obviously you can see how God used it. And in all honesty, in that part of the world, he had a better pedigree than Jesus, if I can say that respectfully. I mean, uh, yeah. he's... <laughs> Other than like 100% Correct. human, 100% divine. Right. Jesus, yeah. of course, is God the Son and God in the flesh. But yeah, but I mean apparently is, that doesn't count for much within his well. No, no, no. If you didn't know that, and you were just looking at these two men, okay, one of them is a, is a Jew born in Palestine, lives his whole life in Palestine, carpenter by trade. Yeah, parents aren't really noteworthy. Right. Yeah. Parents not even married when he was... Um, conceived yeah. so yeah mm-hmm. and then you you've got Paul Paul They're, the pedigree that Paul had was impeccable for yeah. sure and Paul wrote how much of the New Testament we talk mm, about, about a third. what we've conserved yeah about a third 13 letters in the New Testament the other uh, the other third you can kind of do the New Testament in thirds right almost yeah well yeah. I guess at the Gospels but there's yeah. a lot of John a lot of John John's Luke. a, yeah, Luke's about a quarter mm-hmm. uh, John pretty close to that and then you've got of course everybody else Matthew and Peter Writer Hebrews, whoever will say that. Who that was? <laughs> Probably not Paul. And, uh, yeah. Well, no, I would say for sure. Anything else you want us to know about Paul, or how he's influenced your thinking? Um, well, he's an inspiration to me because on a number of a number of fronts, from a theological perspective. Um, what I love about Paul is he he was able to um, to both embrace a narrative, which is the gospel story, if you will. But at the same time, he had he had a systematic side to him. It's almost like he could he could do narrative theology and he could do systematic theology simultaneously. Um, and I, I have a great deal of respect for that because much of when we have a conversation today theologically about something like the atonement or eschatology, mm-hmm. those are classic, um, or, or harmatology, sin, mm-hmm. those are classic systematic um, uh, categories. Mm-hmm. Well. You read Paul. And a lot of our theology on those yeah. is from Paul. From Paul, sure. Or, or Paul yeah. line in that regard. But also, Paul had the story. He could he could talk about what Jesus did and, and talk about Israel and, and the history of Israel serving as an inspiration to, to the church. So he had that narrative side to him. So I'm inspired by Paul that he was able to hold things in tension mm-hmm. and reflect theologically and do it in a way that... Um, that was um, what what scholars refer to as occasional. In other words, it was it was a part of a specific occasion in time. Mm-hmm. That he wasn't just this um, abstract thinker. Mm-hmm. He was addressing real issues and was somehow able to weave in systematic theology and and, and narratival theology all at one time. So just brilliant. That's one thing I'd say about him. I'd say secondly, it's inspiring to me that in the midst of of the the challenging, demanding life that he lived, that he took the time to write down mm-hmm. these thoughts, obviously under the inspiration of the Spirit of God. Mm-hmm. I would say, thirdly, this was a man who 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 was a martyr. I mean, he he, he gave his life literally for yep. this, so he's in, inspirational. And then finally, I would say he's inspiring to me missiologically. 
because as you know as you said sometimes i think that in missiology when you're trying to take the gospel somewhere it's very easy to think well let's let's pick let's take the gospel let's pick off the easy targets and see if we can win some of them more vulnerable sure i mean paul's at the heart of the uh, movement opposing Christianity. Yeah, he's and, headed right to the city center yes. or whatever that'd be. So the gospel, Jesus goes right to the one of the most influential opponents. Mm-hmm. And and he is the one that is that's reached. That's a that's a missiological lesson to me that when we when we take the gospel somewhere, we shouldn't be afraid to take the gospel to the most ardent opponent. Mm-hmm. Because yep. they might become the most ardent supporter. <laughs> that's the what Paul, he did. The Pauline way. You know, so uh, <clears throat> Uh, you can go down this direction or not, but some of my peers in in ministry, some of the, I think the younger crowd, and maybe that's not fair, but that have gone more liberal than I, we can just admit that. Sure. They dismiss Paul. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they really can contextualize and say most of what Paul said or wrote or did is really not relevant for today. Mm-hmm. And they'll focus more on the prophets mm-hmm. and, and still Jesus, because mm-hmm. you can't not if you're going to do it. But mm-hmm. I, I think, um, well, I, I'd like to know what you think about that. But hearing you talk about the influence of Paul and what he was up to, it makes me maybe a little sad that, we're, that we might dismiss him in a modern culture and a lot of his writings on ethics and mm-hmm. uh, sexuality, whatever sure. it is, mm-hmm. that, that they can kind of back burner him mm-hmm. to emphasize something else that's yeah, more palatable. It, yes, it's, I think you're right. He's been marginalized by some. And it's, 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 I think the accusation is, well, why should I read Paul? He, he just doesn't get it. He, he missed the point on at every turn. He, he missed it on women. He missed it on homosexuality. He missed it on, um, um, when you think about um, slavery, mm-hmm. I mean, pick a topic. Yep. You can go, man, Paul you just, have to, And sometimes you have to nuance yeah, it. Paul had all this opportunity in marriage. I mean, Paul just, man, he just kind of dropped the ball every time he turned around. <laughs> and, um, but what that says to me is when you when you make that judgment about Paul and I'll say this respectfully mm-hmm. then that means that you've never really done the, your homework to understand the first century world mm-hmm. in other words you, you you have you've lived so long in the 21st century world that you cannot you can't think beyond mm-hmm. your, your own context mm-hmm. Paul would have been a radical thinker in the first century mm-hmm. I mean here is Paul in prison in Rome AD, I don't know, 61, 62-ish, and he writes Philemon, and he writes Philemon about a slave, Onesimus. Um, and, and it's kind of a play on words. His name means no, you know, no worth. It's kind of interesting what they named people, but nevertheless, yep. Very flattering. Paul is pleading with Philemon to set this man free. Don't punish this man. Let this man honor him as a human being. Who, who would write something like that in the first century about a slave? Mm-hmm. Slavery was such a just a, a, so much a part of the fabric of society. Most philosophers didn't even give it a, they didn't even think about it, much less write about it. Mm-hmm. And here you have a theologian saying, okay, here's a great example for you to demonstrate the gospel, and, and that's how you should treat this slave. Mm-hmm. Well, that was a radical thought. Mm-hmm. People get frustrated, Paul, with what he had to say about women, but what, you, what people forget about is, is that there were not people writing about women for the part in Paul's day because they didn't care there was nothing to say yeah the place was just so women may as well be absolutely so why would you take the time to write about women Mm -hmm. why would you give women any instruction Mm -hmm. about anything yeah what does Paul do Paul says well now look okay women if you're going to prophesy in the church if that's what you're going now let's just stop for a second if you're going to prophesy giving them rules for church we're in the first century yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
here's how that's supposed to play out. And so I think those who, who marginalize and dismiss Paul, they're, they're unwilling, in my opinion, to do the hard work and try to peel back these layers and get into the first century and realize just what was happening in those days and how this man, again, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is, is taking keys and unlocking doors mm. at every turn almost. But now, you know, 2,000 years later, we feel like he's a bigot. That's right. he's, That's yeah. right. and, and I think, you know, and I don't want to um, do a straw man argument on my friends. I think right. they just have trouble reconciling Paul and Jesus. That's right. And they feel like they choose Jesus over Paul. That's right. Or I think you're saying if you do the hard work, they actually harmonize a lot better than we might give them credit for. Yeah. And it's also a misreading of Jesus. You know, I, I, I hear people say, yeah, Jesus hung out with sinners. Mm-hmm. He, he did. But not to become one of them, not not to not to bless the lifestyle, not to to affirm what they were doing. Jesus hung out with people so that they might be transformed, so they might be so they might become something different, something better than they ever would have imagined for themselves. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I mean, well, you know, he caught the woman in adultery, and he didn't stone her. True, but he also looked at her and said, "Hey, quit doing this." Yeah. You know, I'm not going to just affirm the fact that you want to live your life in adultery and throw away the teachings of the Scripture. No, don't do this anymore. Mm-hmm. That's Jesus, mm-hmm. gracious, absolutely, but firm and 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 um, transformative. You know, and so I think when when people tell me they prefer Jesus, one of one of my questions usually is, okay, well, tell me tell me your view of Jesus. <laughs> I'm not sure you would like. I'm not sure you'd really yeah, like the which, real Jesus. Which Jesus? Yeah, that's a. <laughs> You know. Once again, that's another sermon as well. No, but it's good. And, uh, <laughs> it, yeah, I could quote Beth Moore pretty quick. She talks about this Jesus, like, you know, right. get it right and, yeah, and don't I mean, manipulate and, Jesus for your own. And, and you know me, call. Katie. I'm a Jesus guy. I, I love Jesus. Jesus changed my life, my destiny. My, he, he has, he's filled the every day of my life. But I will tell you that I don't snuggle up to Jesus like, you know, he's my best friend. That's, I mean, Jesus is God in the flesh, <laughs> and uh, so um, he's. I'm close to Jesus. I love Jesus, but I also know that Jesus is not happy with who I am. He is always, always shaping me, changing me, mm-hmm. and and um, and I have to just learn to deal with it. And I'm not always comfortable with the things that Jesus says. And so, like I said, I, I think that if you're if you're dismissive of Paul. Um, I, I would suggest that you spend a little time really trying to understand the first century and hear this man speak in his day. Don't mm-hmm. don't confine him to your, to our day. That's so. And that's probably good a good word for people who are huge Paul proponents, but take every word literally, that's and right. it ends up hurting people, that's right. <laughs> or subjugating yeah. women, or that's right. whatever it is. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. it, I think Paul it, there's a be, ditch on both sides, yes, right? I think he would be incredibly disappointed. If, if he knew that people used him to bully um, uh, believers who are really trying to figure out their life, you know. Yeah. Now, I think Paul wouldn't mind addressing a false teaching <laughs> if he felt like you were leading people astray. Well, he I didn't think, mind in the first century. Yeah, he'd be okay. You know, he'd be all right. But to take Paul and hit people over the head with Paul, that's, that's just not, I don't think that's consistent even with who he was, mm-hmm. you know, so... Okay, I want to let's put a cherry on top of okay. of this uh, Philippians one Paul conversation mm-hmm. because the whole book of Philippians and what we're going to see is this theme of joy. Correct. In fact, the theme for our month of studying Philippians is rejoice. Right. Uh, I think you quoted. I'm quoting you from Sunday. You said Paul uses joy about 16 times Correct. in a pretty short book. Correct. I mean, it's it's infused into what he's mm-hmm. doing. Mm-hmm. 
Will you, will you tell us a little bit, or tell me more, about joy? And there's kind of this pop culture thing that we talk about, this joy versus happiness, where I'm a big proponent of happiness, and I think God is part of our happiness, mm-hmm. our highest happiness. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is your podcast, not mine. But uh, tell us about joy. This what is you, our podcast. It is, but it's not tell me more, Katie. But <laughs> but I think if we translate blessed, you know, a lot of translations translate blessed in the Old Testament as happy. Correct. And there is the Jesus way that leads to happiness. And so I want to redeem happiness. I think happy people, That's a, I mean, that's a good thing that we should aspire to be. Mm-hmm. Obviously, joy it's a cousin. They have re- they have something in common. Maybe joy goes a little bit deeper. But I'll, will you tell us what you think about kind of that relationship, or just joy in general? Yeah, and that is that is a, I mean that's a great take on it. Um, you're right about Paul in Philippians. <clears throat> um, of course, Paul wrote in Greek, and there are three different Greek words in Paul in Philippians that are either translated with joy or rejoice or rejoice with me or rejoice together. Mm-hmm. Uh, he puts that little prefix soon on there. Yeah, the Greek to, words can do that. Yeah. We talked about that on Sunday. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're. I think my God for you is like one word, right. or you know, whatever that is. So yeah. Did, yeah, first Corinthians. I mean, I mean, Philippians rather one three through six is just one sentence in Greek. Yeah, so, that's what you're saying. Um, but the idea of joy, yeah, sixteen times either rejoice or joy in Philippians. Um, I, I do think, I think joy and happiness exist in the same universe and I think sometimes they're synonymous I would I would probably argue that but I think there are also times where joy goes a little deeper mm-hmm. and it can transcend our circumstances happiness typically is somehow connected to circumstances maybe maybe not totally I think you you know we'll say sometimes I will just choose to be happy which I, I do think that's possible mm-hmm. but you're and, the happiest person people know so. <laughs> well by and large I'm, I'm pretty happy yeah. so uh, but I think the joy that Paul describes is connected to happiness because it, it is a part of some circumstantial uh, factors are at play. Because he says in, in, in verse 3, I thank my God, he says, on, on, on my remembrances of you. And when I pray for you, I pray with joy because of it's our partnership tied, tied in the gospel. To a yeah, and the, and the work of God in your life. So there are some circumstances connected to Paul's joy. Mm-hmm. But I think that the deeper underlying um, reality of joy is that it can actually exist in spite of our circumstances, and so um, it, it, it's that. It's, I think it's also connected to that peace that Paul talks about in mm-hmm. Philippians. That's beyond our comprehension. So Paul, when he writes this letter, is we're we're now he visited Philipp, Philippi about A.D. 50-ish, give or take, depending on when you date his birth and all that, somewhere between 49 and 51, whatever, A.D. When we get to this letter, we're about A.D. 61 or so. So probably 11, 12 years have passed since Paul's been with them, at least from the first blush. Now, we think he's probably been back a couple of times in, in the intervening years. But now here we are. He's he's an older man now. So think about it. If he was born in five He's in his mid fifties now, so he's he's lived Which, quite you know, a life. Now mid fifties is yeah. just rare enough, but sure. Seriously, I mean, I mean, fifties the new twenty. Is it the new twenty? I can't remember 30. what it is. Whatever. Um, but back then, you're in your mid fifties. You've you've lived a full life, so he's done that. So he's seen quite a bit. He's matured a lot, and now, however, he is in Rome under house arrest, mm-hmm. which means um, you know he can't go anywhere unless he's accompanied by Roman soldiers. Um, they they stay with him twenty four seven. His his home that he he has to rent his own home, 
which is quite an interesting, interesting, in interesting way to do jail. But anyway, he had to rent his own home, provide his own food, those kinds of things. So obviously, um, Luke, Timothy, I mean, there are going to be people with Paul all along the way here, but, um, but regardless, um, it's fascinating to me that in those circumstances where he's uncertain about his future, you got Nero's in power. We all know that Nero was, was a, let's say on the polite end, unpredictable, mm. at least. Um, so who knows? Is I think Paul fully expected to be released because I think he felt like he had justifiable grounds that he was un, falsely accused by a group of Jews all the way back in Palestine. And now here he's in Rome. The kind of quibble that would have been lost on the Romans, probably. Yeah. So, however, but he doesn't know that. Who knows what's sure. going to happen? And the fact that he can even mention the fact that he's joyful, that he feels joy, that he's rejoicing, well, obviously, there's something underlying all that. And I think it's just an awareness of, of the presence and the purposes of God being worked out in your life, mm-hmm. independently of how things look. Mm-hmm. And that's probably the lesson I would take there. I do think that happiness, uh, I agree with you, for, for some reason, some people have acted like happiness is not a not a... Not a word. Not a biblical yeah, thing. Not admirable. You shouldn't be worried about being happy. Well, there's nothing wrong with being happy. You know, Jesus said one time when they, they were talking about, he was talking about John the Baptist. You remember? And Jesus said, "Well, you know, you people, um, talking to the religious leaders, he said John the Baptist came playing a funeral dirge. In other words, kind of gloom and doom. You know, John the Baptist was repent. Yeah. You know, <laughs> God's about to judge you. He's laid the axe at the root of the tree. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, he had his part. Uh, his but. podcast would have been very different. Um, <laughs> yeah. Jesus said, so John the Baptist came playing the funeral dirge. The son of man himself, he says, came eating and drinking. And you don't like either one of us. Huh. Well, what a fascinating take on Jesus' view of himself. Mm-hmm. The son of man came eating and drinking. Well, yeah. That is the impression we have of Jesus. Mm-hmm. He goes to weddings and festivals and banquets and eats with people. and Everybody wants to be with him. Yeah. I think Jesus was happy. Mm-hmm. Very attractive character. Yes. Yeah. So there's... There's Something nothing there. wrong with happiness. But I think there is. I mean, I hear what you're saying. Even Paul, in a, diff- in a different book in Galatians later, says that, uh, that the fruit of the Spirit involves joy and That's peace, right. like That's you were right. saying. And I think peace is one of those transcendent, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So there's some depth to it. Mm-hmm. We'll give it a yeah. chance. But it's, but it's. I think that to, to try to somehow, you know, take a scalpel and go, mm, that's not happiness, that's joy. It, it, yeah. It's hard. Or to dismiss some yes, of that. Yes, because there's nothing wrong with being happy. But there is something about, and I can just say in my own life, there have been times when I have found myself in um, in situations or circumstances or seasons, perhaps a better way to put it, mm-hmm. of life where there, there might not be um, um, enough evidence for me to point to it all and say, man, I ought to be really happy right mm-hmm. now. I need to be re- I should be really joyful right now. There have been times when that's not been the case, mm-hmm. but somehow I have found that this joy of the Lord is still present mm-hmm. in me, yeah. you know, and, and, and what is it in Nehemiah? The joy of the Lord is our strength. Mm-hmm. But I do believe there's something to that. that yeah. God, there's a resiliency that comes from the presence of God and the purpose of God being worked out in your life, even if the circumstances are really challenging. And there may even be circumstances where I would say it's not even appropriate to be happy. Correct. It'd be odd in That's a really right. hard time. That's we right. can all imagine those scenarios in our life sure. where it'd be odd if you. Yeah, you know, you'd be you'd be weird if yeah, you were happy. If you yeah. came out of a waiting room with bad news and just right. were exuding happiness, right. but that deeper joy despite our circumstances. Yeah, Correct. I think that's very fair. Right. So, that's what I would say. Uh, well, I think we've hit about the the end of the listener's ear in terms of <laughs> tell me more. Uh, anything you want to say to your church before we kind of log off? You know, I, I guess I would say um, for 
for us as a church. First Baptist Arlington, to me, has a certain... um, um, It has a relational quality to me that lends itself toward happiness and 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 when you come here you i feel like you, you experience that but what i would say is i believe though that really is connected to that deeper reality of joy mm-hmm. and i think that i would say about our congregation i do believe it is a joy-filled congregation mm-hmm. so what i would encourage our folks to do is when you're reading philippians one of the things that does happen to us is that for multiple reasons things rob us of our joy mm-hmm. And that would be my challenge to us as we're reading Philippians, to ask ourselves the question, what is it that robs me of my joy? And how can I address that and, and have God address that in my life? Um, because I think that's one of Satan's tools. I think he wants to just rob us of joy and kind of just, just pull the life out of us, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And so maybe it's something to think about, pray about as you're reading Philippians is, okay, so what are the joy robbers in my life and how can I recognize them, address them? Mm-hmm and try to find that deeper joy in my walk with Jesus. I think that's a very good, admirable goal for this month of August as well. Okay, well, thank you, Pastor. Mm-hmm. Our thank goal you. is to do this weekly. You know, it's always good to set a goal, and we'll yeah. see how close we get to it. But to just have a, have you tell us more about what's going on in there. You can learn from the Scriptures. So thank you, Dr. Lawson. Great, thank you. Okay, we'll see you next week. listening to the Tell Me More podcast today. You can subscribe to this podcast on your app of choice, or you can visit us at fbca.org to find out more information about the podcast and our church. Thanks for listening.